History Podcast. My name is Nick. My name is Unprepared. <laughs> that is accurate. This is a Sound of History Podcast. This is the Sound of History Podcast. This is a Music History Podcast. What's happening today? <laughs> I'm so tired. Where I taken a nap. teach Mika the whole story of American music history. One band and genre at a time. The whole story, nothing but the story. There's quite a few things that aren't the story <laughs> we talk about in this. Um, follow us on social media, I guess. We tweet sometimes. If you want. Do you remember our Twitter handle? Sound of history underscore. I'm never going to forget it because you're so mad about the underscore. I hate the underscore. The guy who has the account without the underscore doesn't use it. Neither do we. We use it more than him. True. Anyway, follow us on Twitter. Share us with friends and stuff. Do all that fun stuff. Leave us a review. Yeah, if you want to. All right. Today we're talking about Led Zeppelin. Yep. But first, Mika gets to talk about whatever she wants. Mika is the host now. Mm. I don't know. That's it. Mika no longer the host now? No. <laughs> You've had like all week to prepare a segment. I don't think about anything beforehand. Who's the artist that, or the author that you really like that I'm reading her book right now and she's like a good YA author? Emma Lord. I like her. You can read her stuff and it is good. That is my plug. <laughs> okay. That's it all. It is cute. And lighthearted, but well-written, and engaging, and enjoyable. It's a good time. I read it in the bath, also. Baths are great. <laughs> I think that was last time I you think so, about that. too, but I'm going to plug it again. Baths. Reading this book in the bath. What am I reading? When you get the chance. Yeah. Good times. <laughs> Thank you for that help there. You're welcome. Mika's no longer the host now. Okay. I am the sidekick host in that segment, so I gotta gotta help how I can. Okay. Remember what we talked about? It actually was last week this time. I do remember what we talked about, and I asked to listen to it in the car yesterday. What? Yeah. Oh. Okay. You just wanted to hear it? Uh Uh-huh. Well, I mean, we were listening to, like, rock and they asked me what I wanted to hear. And I said, huh. I couldn't remember what Black Sabbath was called. I just said oh, Ozzy. And so Madison was confused. Listen to the music, not our episode. Oh, no. I don't okay. do that. <laughs> yeah. I was very surprised that you wanted to listen to the episode. I don't. Okay. <laughs> it's a little bit too repetitive for me. That's fair. I think I'm supposed to be recording again with Jacob this week so we'll have another sound of conspiracies soon for me to listen to I don't think you ever listened to the other one I didn't (laughs) but I'm excited about it we're going to be talking about celebrities who are supposedly dead but people don't think they are wasn't Avril Lavigne supposed to be dead yes she well one of the theories is she is a replacement but this one isn't about that it's about like Jim Morrison and Tupac who have died, but people think they faked their own deaths and are still alive. I thought you already talked about Tupac. We did. We talked about the conspiracy around his death 
And now we're assuming he didn't actually die. And we're going to be talking about the conspiracy of him faking his death. A man shrouded in mystery. Yep. Why aren't you talking about Avril? We'll get there. Maybe. I don't know. Do you like her new music? It's it's kind of mediocre. I was like, this is fun for me to listen to. (laughs) It's fun. It's just kind of strange. It's like the same stuff she made like 20 years ago. Yep. And I don't like Machine Gun Kelly. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's fair. Okay. (laughs) Well, yeah. We talked about metal. What do you remember about metal? What do you want to... Just give us a recap. It wasn't as heavy as I expected it to be because it was just the beginning of it. And so it was just kind of like rock, but a a little bit more angry. Yeah. A little bit, a little bit louder, a little bit, not louder, a little bit more intense. It probably was louder. Well, do you remember who the unholy trinity of bands were? Um, Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin, and the other one that people think might have started metal but obviously didn't because they didn't do metal until later and people say black sabbath didn't do metal until a little bit later so it's got to be led zeppelin okay that's it <laughs> well they're, they're it's it's kind of less about like starting metal and more about they're the ones who like defined it and influenced everything and like created the sound and all that well if you do it first yeah anyway it's led zeppelin uh black sabbath and deep purple that's the unholy trinity we talked about the other two in the last episode so go listen to that one if you haven't today we're talking about led zeppelin do you know anything at all about them no okay don't think you've heard any of their music oh i think i have yeah but i couldn't tell you what it is stairway to heaven that's the one where if you listen to it backwards you go to hell (laughs) yes exactly Okay, so this is going to be one of those episodes where we talk about a few different people to set the stage, as we're going to go through, like, Uh we're going to jump back and forth in time. There are two main people that we'll focus on, and then two that we'll just kind of, like, give a brief synopsis of. James Patrick Page, known as Jimmy, was born on January 9th, 1944, in a West London suburb. I was about to say that's my birthday, and it's not my birthday. (laughs) It's not even close. (laughs) <laughs> like full blown <laughs> thought that you said my birthday and then I was like that, that you're not born in January <laughs> his parents kind of had normal jobs his dad was a manager at a plant like a warehouse plant I guess and his mom was a secretary he got his first guitar when his family moved and there was just a guitar in the new house for some nice. reason no one knows how it got there but Jimmy picked it up and fell in love it was the devil Okay. He took a few lessons in a nearby town, but was pretty much self-taught. Jimmy said, quote, When I grew up, there weren't many other guitarists. There was one other guitarist in my school who actually showed me the first chords that I learned, and I went on from there. I was bored, so I taught myself the guitar from listening to records. So obviously it was a very personal thing. I don't understand how a hobby out of boredom is obviously very personal. I think it's just like, more that's that... that's cool, but, like, more I didn't make that connection. <laughs> he taught himself, like, in isolation, just him and the guitar, so it was personal that way, I guess, instead of formal. I don't know. Then that's what he said. Okay. Supposedly, Jimmy took a lot of inspiration from the records of Elvis and started to learn the guitar around the age of 12 or 13. 
Over the next couple of years, he played in a few different skiffle bands. Do you remember what skiffle is? No. It was from, like, the British Invasion. It was the Beatles, pre-Beatles were in a skiffle band. It was a lot of, like, homemade instruments, and you hated it. All right. Uh, Those bands played in a couple talent shows and even did a lot of busking, which he called good schooling. What's that? It's people playing on, like, street corners for tips. It's busking. Oh. At the age of 15, he turned down a job as a laboratory assistant and dropped out of school to pursue music full-time. How did they offer him a lab job at 15? I don't know. What on earth? I think that they were going to, like, experiment on him. That's (laughs) possible. (laughs) Well, I'm glad he turned it down then. So he's 15. He's out of school now, focusing on music full-time. But he had trouble finding anything consistent and would basically play with any group of musicians who would let him play. Then he was asked to join a singer's band, so he was an official member of Neil Christian and the Crusaders, touring with them for two years and performing on a couple of their early recordings. Then he got seriously sick with glandular fever. I don't know what that is, but that's what he had. And he had to stop touring, so he dropped out of the band. What gland? I don't know. There are many. Well, one of them caught a fever. (laughs) So, obviously, after that, he was feeling really dejected, and he kind of gave up on music. It's mono. Oh, is it? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, he got kind of dejected and decided to give up on music and decided to pursue another passion. He enrolled in art school, but he never stopped playing guitar. He just kept getting sick on the road, so he knew he needed to take time off to recuperate. In the early 60s, the kind of like grungy rock style of bands like the Rolling Stones started to take over England and reignited that passion for being a musician in Jimmy. But instead of jumping back into another band, he decided to try his hand as one of England's best session musicians. At the time, he couldn't read music, so people brought him in when they needed an extra guitarist for a recording and just told him to play whatever he wanted. What? (laughs) It's gotten a little murky over time, so no one really knows all of the recordings that he played on, but he definitely played for The Who, The Kinks, and The Rolling Stones. Nice. Them and Van Morrison, just to name a few. So some of like the biggest British artists of the time, he's on their early recordings, which is kind of cool. Is he European? Yes, he's fr- he was born in a West London suburb. I missed that. <laughs> yes, he's because English. Because of my birthday. <laughs> By 1966, he was ready to join another band again. As early as 1964, he was approached with the possibility of replacing his friend Eric Clapton in a band called the Yardbirds. We've talked about them. Yes, we've briefly touched on them. So, out of loyalty to Eric, he declined because he didn't want to take his spot in the band. But then Eric officially quit the band in 1965, and they once again asked Jimmy. But he was wary of the touring schedule and still wanted to do session work. So, instead, he suggested that his friend Jeff Beck join the band. Is that Beck? What? Beck. No. (laughs) It's just Jeff Beck. He's just... Jeff Beck, Eric Clapton, and Jimmy Page are three of the best guitarists of all time. And they were all at one point in the Yardbirds. So it's kind of crazy. I thought that Jimmy said he didn't want to do it. Well, we'll get there. Oh, okay. Then, in 1966, Jimmy attended a Yardbirds concert, after which 
the other guitarist, Paul Samwell Smith, announced that he was leaving the group. Jimmy offered to replace him and was accepted into the group. He probably felt pretty confident saying that he would come in. Yeah. He was probably like, I think <laughs> I could do this now. I feel pretty bad for poor Paul. Because like everyone's like, oh man, Jeff Beck, Jimmy Page, Eric Clapton, all in one band. And Paul's like, I was there too, guys. I was <laughs> also a guitarist in this band. Bummer. Despite having two of the greatest guitarists of all time, and Jeff Beck and Jimmy Page, the band was never that commercially successful. Their recordings were pretty tame, but their live shows started to get more heavy and experimental. In 1968, two members left the Yardbirds, and Jimmy needed to reconfigure the lineup in order to meet some tour dates in Scandinavia. So he brought in a vocalist named Robert Plant and a drummer named John Bonham. Soon, guitarist John Paul Jones asked to join, and then they called themselves the New Yardbirds. (laughs) That's so dumb. (laughs) It is better than, like, you know how the Newsboys are, like, not the Newsboys, and it's a completely different band? Yeah. If they had called themselves the new news <laughs> boy. <laughs> I think it's just because they had to, the only reason they were doing it was so they could fulfill a contract that the Yardbirds already had. So they couldn't exactly fulfill that and With call themselves completely different. But it probably felt weird to be like, yeah, we're the same Yardbirds. <laughs> like, you're not though. Okay. We're going back in time. <laughs> Robert Plant was born in 1948 in Staffordshire, England. That's a dumb name. Robert Plant? Yeah. Why is that a dumb name? I don't know. It just is. All right. I thought it was a pretty cool name. I think that he sounds like he's in a children's book, and I'm about to learn about plants or, like, (laughs) go into a plant. That's the vibe. Okay. I mean, maybe. From a very early age. Robert Plant and the Great Pollening. (laughs) That sounds... No. Okay. Mm, Never mind. (laughs) From a very early age, he had an interest in rock music. By the age of 10, he said he wanted to be a singer like Elvis. Quote, when I was a kid, I used to hide behind the curtains at home at Christmas, and I used to try and be Elvis. There was a certain ambiance between the curtains and the French windows. There was a certain sound there for a 10-year-old. That was all the ambiance I got at 10 years old, and I always wanted to be a bit similar to that. That is so cute. But also, that's two of them now, inspired by Elvis. In his teen years, around the time he left school, he developed a deep passion for Robert Johnson and others' blues music. You remember Robert Johnson? I remember the name. He's the guy. I feel like I don't like him. He is the legendary blues musician who reportedly sold his soul to the devil at a crossroads. Okay. And no, you did not like him. Because he sang songs that were disrespectful to women. Yeah. (laughs) Shame on him. To be fair, I don't think he wrote them, but he still recorded them. Yeah, it's still his song. He's complicit. (laughs) He left home at the age of 16 and bounced around between a few groups developing his blues sound. Through this, like, journeyman early career, he managed to get three singles on the official charts. He started playing in a band called Band of Joy with a drummer named John Bonham. In all of this, he never really broke through in America, despite his voice gaining a steady reputation as being something kind of special. Oh boy. He was playing in a band called Hobstweddle. (laughs) What? It's H-O-B-B-S-T-W-E-D-D-L-E. Hobstweddle? Hobstweddle. 
It's like huh. hob and weddle with a st in the middle of the word. One more time. Hobbs weddle. <laughs> they were. It's like, I feel like I just like, ooh, <laughs> say it again. <laughs> well, Hobbs weddle was playing at a college show when Jimmy Page showed up. Jimmy was looking for a singer for the Yardbirds, and he talked to Robert about it. Robert knew the Yardbirds, and he had done some stuff in America, and Robert thought audiences there might really like what he had to offer. Wait, sorry. Robert knew that the Yardbirds had done stuff in America, and Robert thought that American audiences would really like him. So, he was interested in joining. On the spot, Robert sang something from Jefferson Airplane, and Jimmy was blown away. Jimmy said, quote, When I auditioned him and heard him sing, I immediately thought there must be something wrong with him personality-wise or that he <laughs> had to be impossible to work with because I just could not understand why, after he told me he'd been singing for a few years already, he hadn't become a big name yet. So I had him down to my place for a little while just to sort of check him out, and we got along great. <laughs> no problems. So Robert Plant was now in the band that was tentatively tentatively called the New Yardbirds. Okay, back in time. That was different. That was more. That was more metal sounding. What? I don't know. <laughs> John Bonham was born in May of 1948. What's his name? John Bonham. Bonham. Yeah. B O N H A M. Okay. I heard a T in there, and I just wanted to clarify. He was born in, oh boy, what's that word? Worcestershire, England. (laughs) By the age of five, he made a drum kit out of containers and coffee lids and started to learn how to play. Goodness. He got his first snare drum at the age of 10 and his first real set at the age of 16. He never took drum lessons. While still in school, he joined a couple of different groups, as kind of is typical. Most of his early life and career he he spent in Birmingham. Like the others, he left school as a teenager and worked at his brother's construction company. He started to play in several different bands around Birmingham and created a reputation as a powerful drummer, one of the loudest playing in the region, which is what you want. You don't want to be known as good, just loud. Loud, always loud. He started his own band, but left after only a couple of months to join a blues-based band that featured Robert Plant on vocals. He seems a little flighty. The two became friends, and Robert loved John's playing. Eventually, they both played in the band called Way of Life that recorded a few demos. So after Robert joined the new Yardbirds, he recommended Bonham to Jimmy Page. Jimmy and their manager watched him play and were convinced that he was perfect for the project. But John wasn't really convinced. He had received several more lucrative offers, including one from Joe Cocker, who was incredibly popular at the time. But at the end of the day, he realized he really liked the new Yardbirds music better than any of the other bands who offered to let him in. So he agreed to play with them. A true musician choosing art over money. It's also worth noting that John Bonham is regarded as one of the best drummers of all time. This is um, quite the group. Yeah. At least one of the best like rock drummers. It's like Neil, Neil Peart or Pert, depending on how you say it is probably the best, and then like John Bonham, Keith Moon, they're all up there. At the same time, the Yardbirds bassist, who was the only remaining member besides Jimmy Page, decided that he wanted to focus on photography instead of music. So he also left the group. 
A session bassist that worked with Jimmy several times heard about the opening in the band and, on the urging of his wife, asked to join. <laughs> nice. Jimmy jumped at the chance of getting such an accomplished session musician into the band. During a break... Oh, wait. This is a quote now. Sorry. Quote, During a break, he asked me if I could use a bass player in the new group I was forming. He had a proper music training, and he had quite brilliant ideas. I jumped at the chance of getting him. So, John Paul Jones joined the new Yardbirds, and the quartet of Led Zeppelin became complete. Nice. Led Zeppelin, activate. (laughs) They're still called the new Yardbirds, though. Not quite Led Zeppelin yet. Awful. In August of 1968, the four played together for the first time, underneath a record shop in London. According to Jimmy, the chemistry was on point immediately, and he knew they were onto something good. The first time the four of them appeared on a recording together was for an album by P.J. Prodi. Robert Plant... P.J. Kelly. <laughs> Robert Plant... It's like D.J. Khaled I... in a P.J. Mask con- co- costume. <laughs> okay. He's dressed up as Owlet. Okay. It's a very specific reference. <laughs> I, I don't know what the reference is. Robert Plant played harmonica on one song. So it was the first time that they were all on a recording together. Do you want to hear that song? Yeah. Do you want to see Owlette? Okay. I don't know what I'm about to see here. But DJ Khaled. What is that from? I don't know. I think it's on Disney. Okay. That's weird. (laughs) All right. Well, here's PJ Proby or Proby. And it's a song called Jim's Blues. We the best blues. Robert Plant's harmonica right there. That's cool. I love how like, no one knows who this guy is anymore, but he still has a little piece of history because Led Zeppelin just happened to play on one of his recordings. Well, we won't play too much of that. But that's first time Led Zeppelin recorded together. Cool. The band completed the Yardbirds' Scandinavia dates and then later that month began to record their first album that was heavily based on their live set. The entire album was recorded in under 30 hours. Wow. In total, for recording and mixing, the album took less than nine days to make. Wow. Since they weren't signed to a label... Jimmy front fronted the cost to record it. Soon after recording, the former bassist of the Yardbirds, Yardbirds issued them a cease and desist, saying that he had the rights to the new Yardbirds name. So now they got to change their name. Thank God. A common origin story for the name Led Zeppelin is that it came from a joke made by Keith Moon, who was the drummer of The Who. A few years earlier, Jimmy Page, Keith Moon and former Yardbirds guitarist Jeff Beck and John Entwistle, who was the bassist for The Who, briefly discussed forming a rock supergroup. Keith Moon joked that the group would, quote, go down like a lead balloon. Jimmy liked the term, I guess, but respelled lead so that those unfamiliar with the term would not pronounce it or would not mispronounce it as lead. Mm. And they changed balloon to Zeppelin, which Jimmy thought fit their sound better. Yeah. 
<laughs> Why like are that. they going down like a lead balloon? I think that maybe Keith just thought they wouldn't work well together. Or maybe he thought the audiences wouldn't like them mixing. I don't know. I think it would have been great. People probably would have loved it. Hmm. But Keith was also heavily on drugs at the time, so he probably didn't know what he was talking about half the time. Peter Grant, the band's manager, helped them sign a deal with Atlantic Records in the United States. They were paid a $200,000 advance, which was the largest amount ever paid for a new band at that time. Cool. Atlantic signed Led Zeppelin on the recommendation of singer Dusty Springfield without ever having seen them play. Make that money, honey. That's wild that they can get the largest ever advance Mm -hmm. and no one had seen them play who offered that to them. Yeah, that's really cool. Their deal was pretty incredible. Under their contract, the band had almost complete autonomy. They got to decide when they wanted to record, when they wanted to tour, how the albums would be promoted, and what songs would be singles. And they would have final say over the contents and designs of each album. Wow. And that was completely unheard of for a new band at that time. In 1969, they set out on their first American tour, which set the stage for their first album in January of that year. Two months later, that album had climbed into the U.S. top ten. This album was more traditional bluesy rock. It wasn't quite as heavy and brutal as their sound would become, but it showed hints of getting there. It wasn't the first heavy metal album, but it did feature what might have been the first heavy metal song, depending on who you ask. Jimmy was reluctant to issue singles from the album, so here's the only song that was released as a single called Good Times, Bad Times. We don't get to hear the the one that might be I Honestly, this might be it. I don't think I could find which song people were talking about when oh. they said But we did get to hear Billy Joel cover the song. <laughs> that was one. This is awesome. Yeah, that's why Billy likes it. No matter how I try, I find my way to the same old jam. Good times, bad times, you know I don't have my share. When my woman left home, I'm down on my man, but I still don't seem to care. Says me, I'm better than love. Well, that's good times, bad times. All right, so you like you like Led Zeppelin so far? Yeah. Through the rest of 1969, they toured relentlessly and, while on the road, managed to record their second album called Led Zeppelin II. I actually don't have a problem with that. All right. I actually think that that's fine. That's what, the, that's what Bad Books did. This album is often considered the musical starting point of heavy metal. It took that blues rock sound that they were already developing and made it more brutal and louder. It was an immediate commercial success. Two months after its release, it topped the album chart and stayed there for seven weeks. The band and their manager maintained a heavy pro-album stance. They didn't like their albums to be divided and preferred for them to be listened to as one experience. Bro, same. Yes. (laughs) That's how I prefer my albums to be. You can thank 
Brian Wilson for that. Thanks, Brian. Also probably the Beatles, but I give it to Brian because I like him better. (laughs) For that reason, they really didn't like re-editing and releasing songs as singles. However, some songs were edited and released as singles against the band's wishes in the U.S. One of those singles, Whole Lot of Love, peaked at number four in the charts. Here is Whole Lot of Love. I feel like you've heard this one. That is how I want my hair to look. <laughs> it's beautiful. <laughs> I've heard it but not like like sampled almost not like sampled in other songs but like yeah just like bits of it yeah that makes sense I feel like that the whole lot of love part I hear a lot this album cemented them as a major concert attraction and they spent the next year touring relentlessly they notoriously shunned TV appearances preferring for people to see them in concerts they're a little elitist. <laughs> a little bit. I probably more pretentious. Like they're all about the purity of their art. So, because like you c- playing on TV can notoriously be a little bit cheesy at that time. So wait till we talk about Queen and we see some of their TV appearances. Like it's a little. Please show me some of Queen's TV will. appearances. Because there's there was a show in England called Top of the Pops that was like launched bands all the time. It was like one of the most popular. The Beatles played it. It was very popular, but you had to lip sync, and it was just seemed weird a lot. So I'm so excited. Some of their shows lasted longer than four hours. Nice. During this period of touring, they developed a bit of a reputation for excessive offstage alcohol and drug use. Shocker. In 1970, Robert Plant and Jimmy Page moved into a small cottage on the coast of Wales to start working on their third album. How cute. Can you guess what it's called? Three. Yes, Led Zeppelin Three. The resulting album introduced a lot more of the Celtic or Celtic folk style. Celtic. Yeah. It was more acoustic and toned down. Cottage core. <laughs> yes. Their original cottage core. Yes. It did reach number one in the album charts, but it would be the shortest-lived number one album that they had during this period. Critics were pretty confused about the direction they took with it, and that led to some more hostility between them and the musical press. Here's the song Immigrant Song from that album, which is another one released as a single against the band's wishes. 
Who's doing this, like, releasing against their wishes? Because I thought in their, like, signing contract, they got to do that sort of thing. Yeah, I guess it's just the label can get away with it. I don't know. They might have been able to sue the label over it, but they just never really cared to. and the hair, just like Robert Plant. Nice! <laughs> As they entered the 70s, they were one of the biggest bands in the world, with more influence on the rock genre than perhaps any other band at that time. They started to dress more flamboyant. They started to use lasers and more elaborate setups for their stage shows. They started touring in a private jet and renting out entire hotel floors and became the subject of many different stories of debauchery like the time that John Bonham apparently rode his motorcycle through a floor of a hotel, or the destruction of a room in the Tokyo Hilton, which got them banned for life from that hotel. Classy. There are plenty more stories, some involving throwing TVs out of windows, but some people think those tales might be a bit exaggerated. I've never understood that. Why would you throw a TV out a window? Why not? Something to do. Distraction! (laughs) it, It feels like it would be something that would be exaggerated because, like, it plays into their image as this rebellious, hard-partying rock. So, like, of course, it makes sense that they wouldn't, like, try and squash rumors. Their fourth album. Four. Nope, this one was untitled. Damn it. No, come on. But is commonly called either Led Zeppelin Four or just Four. So I'm correct. <laughs> yeah. It basically merged that those two styles that they were going for. They combined the heavy blue sound of their second album with the kind of folk mysticism of their third album. It has become one of the best-selling albums in history. According to very little research that I did, it is the 12th best-selling album of all time. Their song that was never released as a single, Stairway to Heaven, became the most requested song on rock radio through the 70s. This album cemented them as superstars in the rock world. They followed it up with their heaviest bout of touring to date, which lasted until 1973. I'm sure we all know it, but I'm going to play Stairway to Heaven because you kind of have to in a episode about Led Zeppelin. Have you ever actually like listened to this song, or do you just know it? I've listened to it. I like how the entrance is like Marvel, where you see their faces and like the letters and symbols. (laughs) 
a long intro to it. So pretty. 78 million views still. There's a lady who's sure All that glitters is gold And she's buying a stairway Stairway to Heaven. Okay. <laughs> what? Do you not like it? No. It's fine. Okay. Do you want to hear the backwards part? Yeah. Want to hear bad words? I'm just going to play it frontwards <laughs> first. I don't want to do that. Why? Might be helpful. This is so dumb. Yeah, I've always thought it was stupid. <laughs> I think it's a stretch to try and. It is weird how there. part of it is kind of like clipped. Like, yeah. They're, like, it does seem to skip a little bit, which is weird, but like. Yeah. <laughs> uh, their next album in 1973 saw them weave in elements of reggae and funk amidst the heavy rock and seven minute long epic songs. Interesting. This album was another smashing success and helped them break concert box office records previously held by the Beatles. Wow. After this, they basically took 1974 off. They released no new music and played no shows, but they did launch their own record label. In 1975, they released their next album, the first on this new label, and it was another smash success, reaching number one in the charts. The label itself was very successful, while Led Zeppelin was a band, but folded pretty quickly when they weren't, which, you know, 
happens a lot with these like power band record labels. This album and the subsequent tour, which saw them using really sophisticated staging and lighting, set them up as the potential best rock band in the world. Their only competition was the Rolling Stones and The Who. They planned a massive autumn tour in 1975, but Robert Plant was in a serious accident while vacationing in Greece. He broke his ankle and his wife was barely saved with an emergency blood transfusion, so he had to take some time off to recuperate. During this forced hiatus, they ended up writing most of the material for their next album. This album marked a change in direction. They reverted to more basic guitar songs, away from the intricate and complex melodies and arrangements that the last few albums had. I bet people didn't like it. (laughs) It received a pretty mixed reaction. Some critics thought the band's excess had finally caught up to them. Although Jimmy Page denies this, many think he started using heroin during the recording of this album, and that also affected their live shows. They didn't tour in 1976, and instead released a film that was basically a failure. They faced a bit of an uphill battle to recapture the public's attention after not touring for a while and releasing a lackluster film and album. So they embarked on an, on another American tour where they broke more attendance records. They had an audience of 76,299 at one show. Wow. Which, according to Guinness Records, was the highest attendance to date for a single act show. Where? I don't know. Like, where is there enough room for that? An outdoor park or something? Holy cow. Because I know Queen played Hyde Park, and that was like one of the biggest... That was after this, so... The tour was financially successful, but there were plenty of offstage problems. 70 people were arrested at one stop for trying to gatecrash a sold-out show. Dude. Others tried to gain entry by throwing rocks and bottles through windows and glass doors. That's their fault. Oh, my lord. Yeah. They had to stop a show short because of a severe thunderstorm, which resulted in a riot. That's some Doja Cat shit. (laughs) John Bonham and a few others on the crew were arrested after a member of the promoter staff was badly beaten during a performance. Oh, my Lord. To be honest, I have no idea what John Bonham could have done about that. He was playing drums during the performance, I would assume, but he got arrested for it. What on earth? As they made it to New Orleans for their show there, Robert Plant received news that his six-year-old son had died of a stomach virus. Oh, no. The rest of the tour was immediately canceled with no plans to reschedule. Fans started to question if this was the end of Led Zeppelin. What? (laughs) Like, this is a jump. I think the fans need to take a chill pill, man. Like, come on. Robert Plant spent the rest of 1977 and most of 1978 in seclusion. Which, like, yeah, your son died. Sure, do that. They eventually did a small tour of Europe in 78, and in 79 they played two concerts in Nebworth, which would be their last shows in England. During a performance in Germany, John Bonham collapsed at his drum set and was rushed to the hospital. Uh Uh-oh. Fans thought it was because of heavy drug and alcohol use, but the band claimed that he had simply overeaten. Mm. (laughs) The band had an American tour scheduled to start in October of 1980. On his way to the rehearsal studio, Bonham stopped for breakfast where he downed four quadruple vodkas, somewhere between 500 and 700 milliliters of vodka. After that, he took a bite of a ham roll and said to his assistant, breakfast. (laughs) (laughs) It's 
not funny, but it's really funny. (laughs) (laughs) He continued to drink really heavily through the rehearsals before the band called it quits for the day and went back to Jimmy's house. Bonham passed out and was taken to bed. The next day, at 1.45 p.m., John Paul Jones and the band's new tour manager found John Bonham dead. The official cause of death was asphyxiation from vomit. Oh, no. That's awful. An autopsy revealed no other recreational drugs in his system. Damn. I think it's him and Jimi Hendrix are the ones that's like, if someone passes out from drinking, you put them on their side. Because if they throw up, they're going to drown in it. That's awful. Yeah. He died from breakfast. (laughs) And all the drinking throughout the day. Wow, breakfast. Okay. After his death, there were plenty of rumors about who would replace him. But in December of 1980, the band announced that they would not be continuing without Bonham. Led Zeppelin had officially broken up. They said in a press statement, quote, We wish it to be known that the loss of our dear friend and the deep sense of undivided harmony felt by ourselves and our manager have, have led us to decide that we would not continue as we were. After that's th- respectable. Yeah. Especially for like a drummer. Yeah. I feel like that's one that a lot of bands would just be like, no, we'll replace and keep going. Right. But. I respect them for not. It was the four of them throughout the whole thing. Right. After the breakup, the band members all launched solo projects and other endeavors. Right before the split, John Paul Jones had moved to focus on his family. He said, quote, So after the split, I was completely out of everything, and I must say I didn't miss it. After Led Zeppelin, he collaborated with many other musicians and appeared on plenty of other projects, always as a guest. He worked with Paul McCartney, the Foo Fighters, Lenny Kravitz, R.E.M., and even Jars of Clay. What? I tried to find what he did with them, and I could not find it. I just saw that he worked with them. Bummer. He largely remained behind the scenes, producing and arranging. He waited until 1999 to release his first solo album, called Zuma. In 2019, he formed a new band called Sons of Chipotle. Nice. He lo- I don't know why you would do that in 2019 when Chipotle is already its own like big thing. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. <laughs> come on, man. He loved Chipotle. He's largely left the heavy metal genre behind him. After Led Zeppelin broke up, Robert Plant considered retiring from music to become a teacher. Cute. He went so far as to be accepted into a teacher training program. Cute. But eventually decided to try out a solo career, mostly due to the encouragement of Genesis drummer Phil Collins, Cute. who would eventually play with him. He had a string of solo hits through the 80s and the 90s, releasing at least three highly successful albums. From 1994 through 1998, he reunited with Jimmy Page. They recorded an album and embarked on a massively successful tour in 1994. After years of snipping at each other in the press, fans loved seeing the two back together again. Their 1998 album, Walking Into Clarksdale, was a flop, which led Robert to go back to his solo career. Here they are playing on MTV's Unplugged together. What? Do you know anything about Unplugged? It's a cool little MTV thing. I mean, not beyond the basics. I mean, there's not much else to know. It's just bands would come and like play generally toned down mellower versions of their songs. Stars to fill my dream 
them playing cashmere in 2002 robert started a new band called strange sensation and released an album of mostly rock and blues covers he started another band called band of joy in 2010 his most recent band is called saving grace they had a tour scheduled that had to be canceled because of covid Jimmy Page initially launched a solo career, but hasn't been as successful as Robert Plant, which makes sense because he's probably not as good of a singer. And Mm -hmm. I feel like the solo careers, you kind of have to be decent at singing. Yeah. He hasn't toured as a solo musician since 1988. He often gets a little fussy with Robert Plant, who keeps pushing back against possible Led Zeppelin reunions. He said in 2014, quote, I was told last year that Robert Plant said he is doing nothing in 2014, and what do the other two guys think? Well, he knows what the other guys think. Everyone would love to play more concerts for the band. He's just playing games, and I'm fed up with it, to be honest with you. I don't sing, so I can't do much about it. I definitely want to play live because, you know, I've still got a twinkle in my eye. I can (laughs) still play. So, yeah, I'll just get myself into musical shape, just concentrating on the guitar. End quote. I don't understand. I mean, they all kind of said they didn't want to keep going. Yeah, but, I mean, that was also in 1980. So by 2014, things are probably a little different. It's been 30 years. You're they probably want more money, like I that. But also <laughs> probably just a sense of nostalgia. Yeah, like yeah. it's been 30 years, and those were probably some of like the greatest times of your life. So you're probably gonna be like, it'd be nice to just like feel a little bit of that again. Yeah, I get that. In response, Robert Plant said that he was confused about those comments and said he'd love to work with Jimmy again, but in an acoustic way. I don't know why. He just wanted it in an acoustic way. Just his vibe. Yeah. In 2014, Jimmy said that he was working on getting a band together to play songs spanning his entire career. But as of now, that hasn't happened. Since the breakup, the band has had a full reunion with Jason Bonham filling in for his father on drums in That's 2007. That's so sweet. So they, reu- they reunited. Yeah, for one show. <laughs> Here they are playing a song called Celebration Day. No, it's called Black Dog, live at Celebration. Oh, my bad. I'm playing at Celebration. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> That's really cool for them to get to play with like their yeah. buddy's son. Yeah. That's pretty Especially awesome. since he's a pretty good drummer, too. Yeah, he's good. <laughs> just wonder if you're like. If you're the kid of a legendary musician like that, is there a pressure to play the same instrument? Or is it just like that's what you grow up around, so you're going to gravitate towards it? 
Because oh. Ringo Starr's son is also a big time drummer. I feel like you watch your dad do something yeah. and you're like, I want to do that. Like when you're like yeah. five. And you have access to all the best drum equipment. Right. And so you kind of just, and, and they're of course going to be like, yeah, sure, let's do it. Because they yeah. love it. You know? There's no better teacher. Well, that's them playing their reunion in what, 2007? Many people consider Led Zeppelin to be the most influential and innovative rock band in history. They are certainly at least in the conversation. Pretty much everyone in rock and metal after them have been influenced by them. They changed the genre of music. To change the genre of music. They also deeply impacted the business side with their focus on album-oriented music and by controlling their own sound and image. Yeah. They were the first band to do really big stadium and arena shows, essentially giving birth to the arena rock genre. According to the Recording Industry Association of America, they are the third highest selling band and the fifth highest selling act of all time. Wow. I'm guessing one is the Beatles. I don't know who the second. Queen, maybe? Who's the second highest selling band of all time? That sounds right. I gotta look it up now. I think you're right. Because, like, Michael Jackson's up there, but he's not a band. Well, according to this Wikipedia article, they are second. Because it's the Beatles, Elvis, Michael Jackson, Elton John, Madonna, Led Zeppelin. So they would be the second biggest band. And then Rihanna. Get it, Rebe. <laughs> yeah, the next band is Pink Floyd and then Queen. So, I That's don't know. interesting. Yeah, it's interesting that Rolling Stones isn't higher. It's interesting that Queen isn't higher. Yeah. Okay, so according to this other article I found, number one is the Beatles, number two is the Eagles, number three is Queen, and number four is Led Zeppelin. Okay, I believe that So it just depends on who you ask. And then Pink Floyd. (laughs) Maroon 5 is seventh. Okay. And then the Rolling Stones is tenth. And that's sad that Maroon 5 is even higher on any list than the Rolling Stones. (laughs) Okay, anyway. They share the record for the most consecutive number one albums in England with eight with ABBA. Nice. It's hard to think of a more influential rock band. Aside from that, they are, at least in my opinion, maybe the most technically gifted band of all time. Yeah, it kind of sounds like it. Some other bands like Cream and Rush come close, but Jimmy Page is regarded as one of the top guitarists of all time. John Bonham is easily top five best rock drummer of all time. Robert Plant is in the discussion for the top rock vocalist of all time. I don't really know where John Paul Jones ranks on the bass, but he was already an immensely successful session musician, so it's hard to think that like he would not be good. So I would say that they're probably the most talented band collectively of all time. That's so cool. All right, well, that's Led Zeppelin. I like it. You happy to learn a little bit more about them? They're such a yeah. legendary band. It's nice to like know a little bit about yeah. who they were and stuff. Now I feel like I'm not a poser if I try and be like, oh, yeah, that's up. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, I can name one of their members, maybe. <laughs> can you not think of one of their names? The only one that's sticking in my head is Robert Plant and then Jimi Hendrix, who's not Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> <laughs> it's close. It's Jimmy. It's Jimmy Page. Okay. Robert Plant, John Bonham, John Paul Jones. John Bonham was also name-dropped in an episode of How I Met Your Mother, so that's fun. 
All right. Anything else to add about Led Zeppelin? <laughs> That's it. Well, next episode, our next episode after this one will probably be a sound of conspiracies because we're going to be gone next weekend, so we can't record, so I'm hoping that we'll have one to put up next week. And then after that, we close out the 60s by talking about Woodstock, which is one of the most legendary events Woodstock. in the 60s. Yeah, I definitely need some education about that. And then we move into the 70s with Arena Rock and Queen. Yes! I wrote the Queen episode like last week, and it was... A lot of fun. I'm uh, all, like, I always forget how good they were. So good. Like, whenever you think of them, the first thing I think of is, we will rock you. And it seems very, like, the basic, like, you hear it at football games. It's like, yeah. But then you hear their other songs. You're like, oh, wow, they're incredible. The <laughs> first so Queen good. song that you think of is, we will rock you? Yeah. And then Bohemian Rhapsody. Interesting. And then we are the champions. Another one bites the dust. Like, I think of those that are more just the arena rock thing. I don't think of the technically gifted mm. ones but they were they were great yeah phenomenal and i watched their movie last night so you did it was just on tv so you watched it oh how fun <laughs> all right anything else to add 